African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Welcome to African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's great to be back with you. Today we'll be looking at uh, health uh, in our program. Today we'll be looking at the fourth edition of the Africa Health Pro or Congress, rather, uh, which was uh, actually uh, taking place last week. And it was held at the Gallagher Convention Center in Midrand, Johannesburg, South Africa. Now we'll look at some of the issues that came out of this particular conference. Remember that this is Channel Africa. You are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Right now it's time for us to get our news. Standing by is Anne Musa. In the headlines, Malawi's new president, Peter Mutarika, wants to mend relations with his predecessor, Joyce Banda. Activists in Nigeria vow to challenge the Bring Back Our Girls protest ban in the capital, Abuja. And South Africa's Education Department rejects a global report ranking the country's maths and science education the worst in the world. A very good morning to you. Malawi's new president, Peter Mutarika, says he wants to mend fences with his predecessor, Joyce Banda. Banda disputed the validity of the elections and demanded a rerun. He was delivering his inaugural speech after winning the elections. Mutarika, leader of the Democratic Progressive Party, received 36% of the vote, beating his main rival, former president, Joyce Banda, into third place. Mutarika says he will unify the country, boost economic growth, and create food security. With Malawi reeling from the Cashgate corruption scandal, Mutarika also pled to uphold the rule of law. In this country, we need politicians who are able to tell the difference between right and wrong. When you lose that perspective, then you get the kind of problems that happen in this country. And therefore, we need a new morality. In my politics, we need leaders who are loyal, not unprincipled leaders who move from party to party to party. No wonder that most of these politicians who move from party to party to party lost in the last election. 
Libya's new government has taken office despite the refusal of the former Prime Minister Abdullah al-Tani's cabinet to leave power. Prime Minister Ahmed Mutik in a statement says he had convened his ministers for the first time since his disputed election amid an ongoing power struggle in Tripoli. The General National Congress elected businessman Mutik in a chaotic vote last month, days after gunmen stormed the GNC to interrupt an earlier ballot. Mutik will lead for a short period until legislative elections are held on the 25th of this month and the new parliament will replace the GNC and form another cabinet. Activists in Nigeria have vowed to challenge the move by Nigerian police to ban protests in the capital Abuja by supporters of the schoolgirls kidnapped by Boko Haram militants. The Federal Capital Territory Police have confirmed the ban, saying the decision was taken because of security reasons. Bring back our girls spokesperson Rotimi Alawale says the protesters will meet again in the capital today. The demonstrations were the results of a social media campaign. Hashtag Bring back our goals, which attracted worldwide support from ordinary people to U.S. First Lady Michelle Obama and Pope Francis. Copycat demonstrations have also been held around the globe. The United States says it intends to work with the new Palestinian unity government and will continue to disperse aid to the Palestinian Authority. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas was earlier sworn in in a unity government in a reconciliation deal with Hamas. The U.S. says it appears that Abbas has formed a technocratic government that does not include ministers affiliated with Hamas. The U.S. further says it will be closely watching to ensure that it upholds Abbas' commitment to honor past peace deals and the peace process with Israel. And finally, South Africa's Education Department has rejected the findings of the World Economic Forum Global Report on Information Technology, which suggests that South Africa's mathematics and science education is ranked as the worst in the world. The department says the World Economic Forum report is unfortunate, not credible, and is not an accurate reflection of education in South Africa. Elijah Mklanga is from the Education Department. It's not a report that was compiled as a result of research or a survey. It is how some people feel about the quality of education and uh, they didn't take the trouble of uh, doing some kind of research to establish the facts about the quality of our education. They mislead the public. They don't take into account the improvements that we've made in the system. They don't take into account the research work that has been done by international research, some Mm. regional research and also our own research that we've done in the country, which points to the fact that we've made some significant improvements. Recapping the top stories, Malawi's new president Peter Mutarika wants to mend relations with his predecessor Joyce Banda. Activists in Nigeria vowed to challenge the Bring Back Our Girls protest ban in the capital Abuja. And South Africa's Education Department rejects a global report ranking the country's maths and science education the worst in the world.
This is African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, you're welcome to interact with us and uh, you might not be able to do that live by calling us to the station. But do send us your SMSs uh, during the program. Plus 27823325905. Plus 27823325905. You can also interact with us on Facebook at Channel Africa One. That's our handle. As well as at African Dialogue, which is the program's handle. Now, the fourth edition of the Africa Health Congress officially ended over the weekend last week, and it was held at the Gallagher Convention Center in Midrand, Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. It was attended by almost 5,000 delegates from 50 countries, and the conference also hosted close to 400 of the world's leading manufacturers, distributors, and service providers who discussed the latest insights into new technologies and trends within the health industry. But what's more interesting about this particular conference is that a qualitative study conducted by Africa Health 2014 was part of the discussion here. And this particular study revealed that the healthcare situation in the African region is improving. And that is very contradictory to what most people think or the perception that many people have. But this particular report also says there remains a lot to be done to bring into line uh, the required uh, standards, I'm sure, with the rest of the world. Now, to discuss this particular conference and uh, to look at this particular report as well, we're joined on the line by Dr. Linda uh, Sabangana, who is the head of department of the radiology department at Chris Hani Barakwanath Hospital, as well as uh, Professor Ngeba Kaleni, who is the honorary research professor at the Durban University of Technology. He's also a managing director uh, at uh, AIK Innovations. And uh, joining us, not uh, uh, least, but uh, uh, Julian Hutz is also joining us here. Uh, she's the executive director of Hutz Medical. We'll find out what she does there. But I want to start our conversation with uh, Professor Ngeba Kaleni, who is the honorary research professor at the Durban University of Technology. Welcome to the program, Professor. Uh, thank you, sir, and, uh, and uh, good morning to our listeners. It's a pleasure. Now, tell us a little bit about your thoughts about this particular con- conference. It comes on the backdrop of this particular study conducted by Africa Health 2014, which reveals that the healthcare situation in the African region is improving. Uh, do you know how uh, this uh, uh, um, report uh, says uh, healthcare is improving on the continent? Uh, Africa Health, uh, really, as you've explained, it, it brings uh, experts, uh, you know, from across Africa mm. and, of course, uh, in the world to discuss pertinent issues, latest developments uh, in regard to research and uh, clinical issues. And, and of course, the, the leading uh, manufacturers come to exhibit you know, their state-of-the-art uh, uh, facility. Mm. Now, as, as part of this, the, the organizers um, send a questionnaire to, to the experts, different participants, stakeholders, and ask them, you know, uh, in a sense, for a reflection. Uh, from where they are uh, on 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 what's what's up. Now you would understand health is broad. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and so people give reflections, I guess, from which lens they view. You know, you can look at the laboratory disciplines, the diagnostics, you can look at clinical issues, you can look at public health in broader terms, and of course you can look at it from the perspective of disease, you can look at it from the perspective of human resources uh, and financing. So it's a, it's a broad uh, scan, and, and, then, and based on the feedback, uh, they would then synthesize um, a report that then says what what is happening, and of course this is from across the African continent. So you get a, it, in a sense, you might say it's credible, but it's not research mm. in a mm. form of, you know, like what classical researchers would do. It's more like a survey uh, from a range of experts. So and from and this and particular and survey, uh, Professor, I'm yes. more interested yeah. about how is uh, health care improving on the continent. Look, I mean, let's let's start from say infectious diseases, mm. uh, which are the big big problem for us, from malaria to HIV uh, to TB. Uh, that there is a lot of work that has been done uh, to really turn uh, ourselves around, uh, and and of course we've there's been a lot of research. But there's been improvement in terms of diagnostics, mm. improvement in terms of treatment outcomes, which impact, of course, on the burden of disease, because uh, it's the biggest uh, uh, problem that, that we're dealing with. Of course, we still have the challenges with the non-communicable diseases. Whilst we've been working with infectious diseases, uh, we are still finding that we still have to deal with uh, issues of diabetes, obesity, uh, so you might call it a mixed bag, but overall the trajectory is moving us forward. And I think the experience with infectious diseases, we probably, if we pull our resources smartly, we'll probably be able to deal also with the uh, non-communicable diseases. Now I want to take we this conversation face, to... We face the challenge of, mm. of human resources okay. um, uh, as well, yeah. Yeah, I want to take this uh, conversation to our other guests as well to hear their views about this report. Uh, I want to uh, uh, speak to Dr. Linda Tlabangana. Are you there with us, uh, Dr. Tlabangana? Yes, I am. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us here on the program. Uh, we've been looking at this particular report. Uh, it states that healthcare is improving as uh, uh, the professor has outlined and looking at some areas, but it also says that uh, a lot needs to be done to improve the standards of healthcare on the continent. Uh, did the conference discuss what needs to be done on the continent to pre- improve healthcare? Oh, I don't know who we've lost there. I think we've lost someone on the line there. So we'll take a little break and uh, see who we've lost on the line there. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. So let's see who we have on the, the, the line right now. Uh, we were uh, struggling just before the break to see who we have on the line. Uh, uh, Dr. Sabangan, are you there with us? Okay, then Professor Ngaleni, are you there with us? Yes, I'm here. Fantastic. Julian Hutz, are you there with us? I'm here. 
Okay, fantastic. Julian, let's take that question to you then. Uh, you were there at the particular conference and uh, we've already discussed uh, this particular study stating that healthcare is improving on the continent. But it states that uh, a lot needs to be done to improve the standard. Uh, what needs to be done on the continent to improve healthcare? Infrastructure. Mm. The infrastructure, um, what I've seen traveling through Africa and the hospitals, um, the infrastructure needs considerable revitalization, which is a program that we're running here in South Africa, revitalizing the old hospitals and putting life back into the buildings that are servicing the communities. And uh, in terms of bringing life back into uh, these uh, old infrastructures that we have here on the continent, what areas are you looking at? Which areas are you improving? Well, our core business is falling into the engineering, hospital Mm. engineering Mm. sector, which is concerned about the um, mechanical and electrical supply systems inside a hospital. And these systems are crucial to the servicing of the machines and providing the right um, resources to take care of the patients through devices. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's one element that could be kind of sidelined when you look at healthcare, uh, the actually the 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 day in and day out functioning of, of a hospital or a clinic or, or any health that's facility. Correct. Why is that so important, Julian, to look at those areas? Well, um, medical air, medical gases are essential in making the machines work that mm. their doctors are using to diagnose and treat patients. If those systems are failing, then you can have a wonderful machine standing there, but it, it can't work. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I just want to also take this particular uh, issue of uh, healthcare services and areas and facilities. Uh, Professor Ngaleni, in, in terms of infrastructure on the continent, we're not doing really well, are we? Historically, um, we, we have many hospitals that were established by missionaries, um, you know, old infrastructure, mm. Um, and and you find uh, different administrations probably do not uh, focus much on on facilities management, if you want to call it, because infrastructure is like a facility. You need to have a budget for its maintenance, for its growth, and of course, as your population grows, you know you find that that infrastructure doesn't cope mm. as your numbers grow. So yeah, it's 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 vital. And and secondly. As you have technologies uh, improving, uh, as the engineer says, I mean, you need to ensure that you have sufficient electricity uh, to drive uh, such uh, important. So you might have a theater without lights. Mm. Uh, you know, you have a theater, you want to conduct an operation, and some things fail in between the operation, which is a risk uh, for, for life and limb. So it is important correctly to, to focus on infrastructure. Of course, you do need, in, in addition to that, skilled personnel uh, to, to utilize uh, mm. that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, if you look at in terms of workers, um, you know, the, the environment you work in, you know, in a sense, stimulates you, motivates you. Um, you know, they look forward to waking up to go to work. If it's a very place that looks good, you know, it's conducive uh, to their work. Mm. Um, and the opposite is true. Um, you know, if you work in a very dilapidated state, place falling apart, 
you have to render this health care and you can't do it at your best, it does not motivate you. Mm. And coming back to you, Julian, uh, looking at Mm. the issues that the professor is looking at, uh, I'm sure investment in infrastructure and health is is very important. Are are we seeing a lot of investment in this area? Are we still seeing uh, countries struggling to get investment in terms of upping the infrastructure development when it comes to the health sector? Very much so. There's... uh the few markets that we're working in outside of um, South Africa uh, are relying on foreign funding mm. to uh, upstart uh, renovation or revitalization of a critical area like an ICU. Mm. And other areas, other markets are really taking the bull by its horns and putting in a lot of investment in new buildings, universities, uh, what I mean is academic hospitals, and those are the building blocks mm-hmm. of the people and creating those building steps um, to have a, a competent staff um, contingent to be in those new hospitals that are being built. And I think uh, Dr. Linda Slabangana has joined us uh, uh, on this particular conversation, mm-hmm. and she's the head of department of the radiology department at Chris Hani Paraguanath Hospital. Are you there with us, Doctor? Yes, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm back on my... Okay, fantastic. It's great to have you back, Doctor. Now, I want to know from you, Doctor, we, we're looking at some issues of improving infrastructure investment and development on in the health sector uh, on the continent. But also, it's not just issues of having great infrastructure. It's also looking after the personnel. Health practitioners on the continent, especially nurses, are not paid very well. They're not, they don't really receive much incentives and recognition. How do we turn this issue around making uh, these health practitioners the, the, the center of our uh, health practices? I think it's, it's a major challenge because, you know, there's a great discrepancy between what people get paid in the public sector and the private sector. Mm. And I think government needs to start incentivizing its staff, not just in terms of salary and um, in the central areas, but incentivizing people to go out into the periphery to go out and provide a service to people who cannot come all the way to the central areas for treatment. So it is a challenge because government also has its own um, limitations with regards to finances. But Mm. I think if we are going to get on top of the health challenges in Africa, which are mostly, you know, preventable or treatable, um, government will really need to look at changing its um, payment um, programs and also incentivizing staff. Uh, Professor uh, Ngalen, your view on this uh, issue, because, uh, you know, sometimes you go to a public hospital and you see really uh, the staff is low low on motivation and in terms of their morale uh, because of the issue of, of, of uh, incentives and salary. How does that eff- affect the, the nurse or the ordinary uh, the person who, who services a, a health facility? How do we deal with that issue? Because it's, it's a big one, especially in urban areas. Look, there, there, there are two aspects to this. There is a sense of, uh, of course, uh, appropriate remuneration and which probably different countries are battling. And, of course, what then uh, it makes a drain and people go into the private sector or they emigrate to, to the West or the Europe or America. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a challenge uh, ongoing because you do need to train and retain um, you know, your staff. 
and, and of course, any incentive to retain staff is important. Uh, yet, at the same time, um, as the good doctor just mentioned, is that it's not just the, you know, at, at times the hospitals become like the central focus, yet the a primary health care approach that says there are certain conditions that we need to work on preventing, um, and we, we, that require less people into hospitals. Um, and, and so it's also a very important uh, approach, uh, such that only those things that really need require hospitals, treatment, um, will, will, will be necessary, but the rest we can do a lot on prevention. Hmm. And looking at health centres themselves, I'm sure management plays a huge role. And Dr. Tlabangani, this is an area that you highlighted. Uh, poor management, budget constraints are an issue on the continent. How so? I think, you know, when it comes to healthcare, you require a complete set of skills. And I think in government, government has access to funding. And there are skills, but most governments lack the complete skill set to really administer and roll out their initiatives. And I think that um, that is a problem. Once again, I think it's a challenge because of the payment structures, but they are solutions. I personally do not believe that government um, should be the only um, institution that is assisting in the health within Africa. And I think if partnerships between government, between the private sector and with NGOs we really could provide a more comprehensive and sustainable health care to our people. You know, um, private sector can provide and fill the skills gap. Private sector can also introduce efficiencies. And I think the use of knowledge that NGOs have with um, regional-specific transport problems, mm. infrastructure, mm. working together, we could definitely create sustainable health care. I want to agree with the professor that primary health care should be one of our focuses. Mm-hmm. Because many of the problems that we have, if you look at the causes of infant mortality, most of them are from preventable diseases. And I think government should focus or allocate more money into primary health care, into training primary, primary health care providers, because that would solve significant amount of our problems. I want to take this conversation to Julian as well uh, because he Mm. is independent and you're probably a private organization itself. Uh, You know, when I look at uh, the private enterprise, uh, some people say, what's in it for me? You know, some businesses would say, what do I have to benefit from this? And maybe that's not why, that's the reason why uh, people are not investing in, uh, in, in health facilities because there's, there's, no, there's nothing much they can get back from, from investing there, Julian. What's your view on that? Well, I'm just going back, thinking back to the beginning of the conversation. Um, doctors, as much as teachers and policemen, are a core and important um, people in our society mm. and are generally underpaid. And when we realize that and, and ask the right amount of budget from the government and propose um, a successful uh, strategy, um, you'd find different kind of people to be employed, mm. Mm. Uh, higher-end people and people who are willing to come from private sector to public sector. Mm. And uh, it's all about um, um, having a living, you know? Yeah.
But but isn't that the main problem about the fact that uh, in terms of investment, sometimes you just have to give away and you might not get a return just to invest in that particular community? Maybe that's just where the problem is, Julian. Personally, I think Africa is a very rich continent. Mm. Um, We have incredible uh, riches here, Mm. and they need to be managed properly and uh, um, prioritized. Professor Ngaleni, do you think that uh, the private sector is doing enough to invest in health? Uh, as we've seen, like you, you spoke earlier on about the history of Africa, when uh, uh, we we had uh, colonizers coming into uh, our continent, they developed hospitals, clinics, education facilities, and uh, we have a lot of businesses coming into our continent now, but it seems like they're not really investing in our societies. Look, the, the, the private sector in terms of health is twofold. Mm. Uh, you have private hospitals, you have the pharmaceutical industries, you have those who do devices and technologies, and um, I mean, and there's a, a mushrooming of private hospitals, private clinics. But those are very um, high, very high in, in terms of uh, costs, and they're very expensive to go to those particular spaces. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the fundamental discussion at the moment around pricing, mm. uh, and and what's been happening is that I think a lot of governments have largely been focusing on pu- public health care, and 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 not paying attention in terms of uh, private health care. Mm. Uh, because there are medical aid premium uh, what what were you saying Julian the the African um, people are paying premium for good health care I see yes. many private hospitals providing superb uh, treatments and care and people are scared to go to the public places because of all the things that you know of mm. and like in Nigeria they, people fly to Saudi Arabia to get treatment yeah, but the discussion is, is that a good thing for the continent? Professor, what's your view on that when, when we're seeing, uh, you know, people moving out of their own communities to find health care somewhere else because already mm-hmm. their public facilities are not uh, giving them adequate treatment or health care? You might, you might talk choice, I guess, those who can afford. Yeah. I mean, there are people who come from Europe to get some... Um, uh, procedures in, say, South Africa, for mm. example. So yes. you can't control movement of humans. I think what you can do is to jack up your own systems, mm. uh, your own standards, uh, which probably would then minimize that. Mm. Um, I think the, the, the point is, in, in terms of people who are qualified, I mean, our health professionals are, are highly qualified. That's why they are in demand in, in countries worldwide. So we do have skilled people, and that's, that's no doubt. And, and they are doing the best they can given the circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. And I think uh, the, 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 the question here is, could you have other models where, say, the private sector can come? And, and so, uh, like, maybe a model around management, because at times some, some of us, Whenever trained in management, mm. you are skilled in mm. what you do, you're well qualified, mm. but in terms of managing an enterprise, mm. uh, you might find it, it, but where we can have a partnership, a public-private model where businesses can, you know, f- support uh, 
these public institutions around management and that skills transfer, which with time, because certain things you can go to university and learn, but the real the rubber meets the road when you're really in practice at doing it. And it's an area that uh, we do need improvements in um, as, as much as we can. Yeah, we're going to take a little break right now. Uh, we're having uh, three guests on the line here. Dr. Linda Sabangana, who's the head of department of the radiology department at Chris Hani Barakwanath Hospital, as well as Professor Nneba Kaleni, who's the honorary research professor at the Durban University of Technology. And we have Julian Hatz, who's the executive director at Hatz Medical. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, I want us to look at some of the inroads that we've made in the treatment of communicable diseases and uh, but also we still have challenges in terms of the increase in chronic diseases and i, I want to highlight how do we move forward in this particular area and look at some uh, innovations technologies and concepts that we can actually adopt uh, as the continent to improve our healthcare systems on on the continent so we'll be back after this little break <music> This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, this is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You are currently listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Today we are reviewing the fourth edition of the Africa Health Congress, which ended last week, and it was looking at health care on the continent, and it had uh, up to uh, uh, 400 of the world's leading manufacturers, distributors, service uh, providers who were discussing some of the latest insights into new technologies and trends within the health industry, and looking at as well at uh, uh, how the healthcare system uh, is uh, working on the African continent. And uh, on the line, we have Dr. Linda uh, Sabangani, who's the head of department of the radiology department at Chris Hanibarakwanath Hospital. And also we have Professor Nneba Kaleni, who's the honorary research professor at the Durban University of Technology, and uh, Julian Hatz, who's the executive director at Hatz Medical. Now, uh, this part of the conversation, let's start it with you, Dr. Uh, Linda Labangane, we uh, saw from this particular study that uh, uh, in recent years, significant inroads have been made in, in, into the treatment of communicable diseases. Could you highlight how we've done in this area on the continent? Um, yes, we have seen a quite a remarkable decrease in communicable diseases. If you look at the infant mortality rate, you know, there's about a 47% decrease in child on infant mortality since 1990. And this is a remarkable um, improvement. We still have um, about 6.6 million children under the age of five passing away from preventable diseases. But from where we've come from, there really is an improvement. If we look at certain regions, if you mm-hmm. look at Tanzania, they've managed to reduce um, the, the, the number of malaria deaths 
um, in the past few years. Mm. You know, the incidence of HIV and TB in sub-Saharan <coughs> Africa has come down quite significantly. And, you know, with several countries having rolled out antiretroviral therapy to their population, for example, South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Botswana, there are improvements. I think the improvements are, are due to a conscious effort by countries um, to, you know, follow and achieve the millennial developmental goals that were set in 2000 Mm -hmm. by the UNDP. And I think, you know, countries are making efforts to reduce infant mortality, reduce maternal mortality, improve maternal health. Some countries have done better than others, um, but definitely there 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 are efforts to improve this. But on the flip side, Professor Kaleni, we've seen that uh, there's been an increase in chronic diseases and uh, this highlights the need for emphasis on preventative medicine and community education on this particular issue. Could you highlight why we've seen this increase? Look, as as, as economies Hmm. uh, in countries grow, because, I mean, Africa... Uh, on the whole, uh, is is experiencing economic growth, mm. and 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 so as people's lifestyle change, um, and and unfortunately, they get accompanied by changing in nutrition, uh, lack of exercise. Mm. Um, you know, everyone wants to drive a car, mm. um, and and things like that. So, and that's what now has is changing, and you know. Um, uh, Drastically, and of course, um, with with employment, uh, you know, issues of mental health, stress. Mm. Uh, we we work long hours, we work hard long hours to make money, uh, and things like that. So there's there's other issues that are that are creeping in, we, which we were not focusing a lot on, um, and I think. Um, and and it's things that are preventable, uh, just like we we're talking about. Uh, communicable diseases, mm. even in non-communicable ones, mm. it's things that we, we can still work hard. It's just that, I guess, the, the focus has been on the big ones because uh, they've been um, um, hitting us hard. Yeah. But I think it's, a, it's, it's like a time bomb. But I think we're all waking up to, to these uh, realities at the moment to begin to tackle them. As well, Professor, can we change the tide when it comes to these chronic diseases? What do we need to do as a continent to uh, turn things around? A lot is about lifestyle. Mm. So it, a lot of, of it is, as I'm saying, it's, it's been the same with our uh, communicable diseases. We, we got to get the messages of prevention, lifestyle changes, exercise, um, good nutrition, because at times people eat, but they don't think about what they what they're putting into their bodies, uh, as if we're only feeding our hungry stomachs without thinking. And good nutrition is not about expensive food. Mm. Um, you know, we have a lot of indigenous fruits, indigenous vegetables, and things that we can use uh, to you know, to give us uh, life, uh, enhancing our life. And of course, they think they're thinking about exercises, um, which um, so it, and 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 of course, school sports, mm. school sports mm. um, are fundamental in saying let the young get used to it, um, and it becomes part of their norm and lifestyle. Um, and so, yes, there, there's a lot that 
we can do. Um, and uh, and I think we are growing in, in realizing that. And there are NGOs that are important, like the cancer associations and the number of NGOs that are beginning to work uh, in providing education uh, on diabetes, uh, hypertension and things. So there's a lot of work uh, that is happening. Now, we're talking about solutions here, and I think one of the greatest things that the conference highlighted was uh, technologies. Um, what would you say were the latest innovations, technologies, concepts that stood out for you, Julian, at, at this particular uh, exhibition that was there at the Africa Health Conference 2014? <laughs> Okay, we're struggling there with, with your line, Julian. I don't know if you, you've moved. Maybe you can position yourself back to where you were because I'm struggling to, to hear you now. Uh, are you there, Julian? Can you hear me now? Uh, no, no your, your line is, is breaking up. Let me uh, see if I can maybe ask Dr. Thabangana that particular question about any uh, innovations and technologies and concepts that, that stood out for you, Doctor? I think one um, innovation in technology that really has done a great deal in, you know, closing the geographic divide is telemedicine. Mm. What is and that? I think can you, can you telemedicine, mm. basically what that is, is when, for example, someone in the periphery has a challenging problem or wants to discuss it with a doctor. Mm. They can either call in or send an email or even Skype, have a um, real live time conversation with the doctor who's more central, Mm. who can assist them acutely in that problem. It also can be used as um, a backup where doctors are following patients in the periphery based on the results that are populated by the nursing staff or doctors Mm. in that area. That's fantastic, yeah. So um, that has really helped with the skills shortage that has been mentioned because now you can utilize resources anywhere in the world. This is happening within countries, it's happening between countries, and it's also happening between continents. And that's a great way of bringing the medical community together and utilizing resources wherever they are. Telemedicine has extended into teleradiology, so if any imaging that is performed in the periphery be reviewed centrally and opinions can be given. So for me, that is a great advancement and I think it's something that we definitely need to utilize more. Mm. And Professor Kaleni, your, your views in terms of the gadgets that were presented there, what was interesting for you? I guess I'm interested in diagnostics. Ah. <laughs> um, and, and, and for me, um, it, it, it was because we, we always need to improve um, you know, the time a patient has given a specimen mm. uh, to, to the time they get the result. Um, you know, the, the, the more we shorten uh, that interface, of course, uh, clinicians can make better choices and decisions. So there, there was a, a, a number of uh, gadgets mm. uh, at the diagnostic uh, level uh, that, that were on display. Uh, of course, at this stage, one doesn't know because uh, in terms of how they're valid and the, the research that goes behind it. But it was, it was encouraging to me to see that there's also innovation in this area. Now, uh, as, as we wrap it up, Julian, are you there with us? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, you, you are much clearer now. Julian, we were talking about the technologies that were presented at the exhibition at the Africa Health Conference. Anything that stood out for you? 
Well, um, I was mainly on my stand most of the time. So okay. I wear much more Tell us a little bit about your stand then. <laughs> um, what what I can say is, yes, as um, um, my colleague was saying about telemedicine, mm. the digitization of the information okay. like from the machines, the diagnostics, mm. the radiology and everything, it's all there, but the, the funding's not there. Mm. The money's not available. People are... Well, you still need to get used to how much money high-tech costs. Mm. That's what I've, I've been promoting it for two, three years now, and it all seems to be a stumbling block when it comes to quality of high-tech equipment. Um, people aren't aware or pre-aware of uh, mm. how much these things cost. I'm not used to these uh, high values. Julian, just as we wrap up, I mean, you were at your stand. We're talking about these other stands. What were you doing at your stand? Tell us a little bit more about Hats Medical for, for just interest sake. Okay, well, we're a local South African, probably South African company, manufacturing here in South Africa for the mm. last 40 years, mm. engineering mechanical uh, products, um, which are bedded units for the electricity and gas supply in the hospitals. Um, ICU and ceiling payments for OR, mm. and we're, we launched a new examination light that um, we're going to be marketing and distributing throughout um, South Africa and Africa. Mm. And so we were focusing more about the nuts and bolts about um, about infrastructure and hospitals. Mm, mm, fantastic. Uh, that's great. And Julian, uh, keep doing the great work. But I need to wrap it up right now. And uh, thank you so much great. to all our guests for joining us. Dr. Linda Labangana, the head of Department of Radiology uh, at the Department at uh, Radiology Department, rather, at Chris Hani Barakwanath Hospital. And also we had Professor Ngeba Kaleni, who's the Honorary Research Professor at the Durban University of Technology, also a Managing Director of AIK Innovations. And uh, we thank you all for for joining us on on today's program. Thank you very much. Fantastic. That's how we wrap up today's uh, program. So much information to get out from all those experts. uh, And uh, yeah, very interesting indeed to see where we're going in our health sector in the continent. If you want to contribute, let us know your thoughts. Plus 278-233-25905. Plus 278-233-25905. But now it's time for us to get our economics update from Wisani Matebula. Good morning. Thanks, Benjamin. More than 70% of the world's population doesn't have proper social protection. This according to a report issued by the International Labour Organization. The ILO defined social protection as covering both social insurance schemes such as social security pension systems and monetary transfer to lower income households. The report says that 28% of workers worldwide are covered by unemployment benefit programs but only 12% of unemployed workers actually receive such benefits. ILO Deputy Director General Sandra Polaski has more. Similarly, mandatory social insurance programs to cover workers who are injured at work or suffer work-induced health problems cover only 33% of the global labor force. Grain South Africa has expressed concerns uh, with the lower demand uh, for local produced maize. This is due to highly competitive prices offered by countries like the United States, which had a good crop 
in 2013. Grain SA economist Wandi Lesihlobo says the industry could be negatively affected if the current situation continues. There's actually two major underlying factors, which is the increase in the domestic production, first of all. Uh, 2013, South Africa had a production of about 11.8 million tons. And then now we're expecting about 13.5 million tons of maize. But not only that, because you'll see that last year we had more exports going on to countries like Taiwan, and we also have some maize going on to Zimbabwe, Japan, and all of that. The opposition to Urban Tolling Alliance, AUTA, says uh, the South African National Roads Agency, SONRAL, lacks transparency and cannot be trusted. This after the Advertising Standards Authority found that SANRAL misled the public with adverts citing the number of e-tags registered and failed to substantiate how it calculated discounts that motorists would pay after registering. The agency was ordered to withdraw the statistics quoted in the commercial. Autos Wayne Duvenache. SANRAL can't be trusted with information like this. I mean, we have caught them... Uh, a year ago, giving misleading information about the e-tag sales, red-handedly, totally misleading information, uh, and they treat the public like fools. So Arta is very pleased with the, with the ASA's rulings, uh, and, and, and we're not surprised that they've lost the support of the public and that the public refuse to tag up in the numbers that they want because they have less than half the people paying uh, for e-tolls. Cameroon State Oil Firm SNH has earned $13.46 million in transit fees for Chadian oil shipped to Cameroon's coast from January through April, triple the amount during the same period last year. The spike in revenues comes after Cameroon last year more than tripled the transit fee landlocked Chad would pay to ship its oil to Cameroon's coast. SNH says uh, the 10.545 million barrels of charged oil transited Cameroon in the first four months of this year, roughly the same amount of oil as the same period last year. The rate is due to be reviewed every five years and altered according to regional rates of inflation. Finally, Malawian President Pitam Tarika says economic stability and national unity will be the focus of his government as he was inaugurated as the fifth leader of the Southern African state in the wake of a disputed election. Mutarika, who was announced winner of the May 20 election last week, also extended an olive branch to his predecessor, Joyce Banda, who at one point disputed the validity of the vote and demanded a rerun. And that's your news for now. Now it's time for us to get our sports figure Lingwati standing by. In a sports update this hour, starting off with rugby news, Springbok coach Henneke Meyer has announced that Victor Metfield will captain the Springboks in the incoming series this month in the absence of the injured Jean de Villas. Medfield will lead the Springboks for the first time since his return to rugby in Saturday's match against a star-studded World 15 at Newlands in Cape Town at 5 p.m. Central African time. Having played 110 tests for South Africa, 
midfield last kept in the Springboks at the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand in 2011. Meanwhile, Springbok team Dr. Craig Roberts confirmed last night that Stormers centre Damien D'Alende has been ruled out of the, for the remainder of the Castle Lager inbound tour. D'Alende injured his knee in the Super Rugby match between the Sharks and the Stormers and is expected to be out of action for four to six weeks with a grade two medial ligament strain. The big news obviously is, is Damien D'Alende hurt his knee in the game against the Sharks. Um, we took him for some scans this morning and uh, confirmed our clinical suspicion of a grade 2 medial collateral ligament sprain. Unfortunately, that means he's going to be out for four to six weeks, which uh, effectively is going to rule him out of this uh, June test series now. Um, so, yeah, that's really the, the news of the day, I'm afraid. Robert says there weren't any other injuries in the squad, including from the overseas base players, except for the normal bumps and bruises. No, usual bumps and bruises from the from the from the weekend. Nothing, uh, nothing too major. Um, most of the overseas-based guys came in as well. They they find Scott was just a bit stiff and sore after playing 100 minutes of rugby, um, but he's he's fine. So we're happy with them at the at the moment. In cricket news, South African star batsmen A.B. De Villiers and Hashim Amla are the leading candidates to succeed Graham Smith as South Africa's Test captain. Cricket South Africa's board will meet today to make what is seen as a crucial decision after a decade of Smith at the helm. Smith kept in South Africa in a world record 109 tests before announcing his retirement during the third and the final test against Australia last March. The national selectors will table the recommendation for the captaincy, but the final decision will be made by the board. The first assignment of the new captain will be to lead South Africa in two tests in Sri Lanka during July. And finally, with tennis news, Novak Djokovic and Milos Raonic, two men who left the strife-torn Balkans when they were children, meet for a place in the French Open quarterfinals today. World number two, Djokovic, the 2012 runner-up in Paris and seeking a first French Open title, starts as overwhelming favorite against Raonic, just the fourth Canadian man to make the last eight of a major. Meanwhile, Rafael Nadal admitted today that he is becoming increasingly frustrated with the speculation over whether or not a back injury will shatter his hopes of a ninth French Open title. The Spaniard joins Novak Djokovic in the quarterfinals when he faces compatriot David Ferrer, against whom he has a 21-6 winning record. Mentally, I've already switched to the grass, to be quite honest, you know. Um, for me, it's like, okay, clay court season was fun, but uh, we're moving on, you know. Clay uh, doesn't need me anymore, so I've got flushed out here. And, uh, no, I'm looking forward to spending, sure, some time with the family now. It's been an intense last few weeks. And clearly, you know, you want to try to be as professional as you can to perform well on the court. Um, um, so clearly now, I don't know what's going to happen next sort of week or so. But I'm looking forward to playing, you know, Halle and Wimbledon now. That's Sport News this hour. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. 
Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we wrap it up here on African Dialogue. Very interesting. Looking at the health uh, care services on the continent, do you think it's true what this particular report is saying, that uh, uh, health care uh, situation in the African region is improving? Is the health care situation in the African region improving in your view? Let us know what you think. Plus 27823325905. That's plus 27823325905. You can also find Find us on Twitter at African Dialogue as well as at Channel Africa One. That's how we wrap up the program today. Just a reminder, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And uh, you're always welcome to find us on Facebook as well. Uh, The page is titled uh, Channel Africa. That's how we wrap it up. Until tomorrow, God bless.